Hi, this is Matt Shaw, pastor at City Lift Church. If you're in the Fort Lauderdale area, we'd love for you to come visit us on a Sunday sometime or join us online, citylift.church. We hope today's message fills you with courage and helps you on your spiritual journey. We exist just to help people meet, know, and follow Jesus. Enjoy today's message. Good morning, everybody. Hopefully everybody's doing good and you had an awesome week. I want to start today. I'm so excited for this. We are going to be walking in this Easter season through Luke chapter 22, Luke chapter 23, and Luke chapter 24. And we are going through the Easter story. These are Jesus' final words to us. These are his his final acts of ministry. Um, These are his final hours on the earth before he goes to the cross to die for all of our sins, which is the very reason God sent him in the first place. You know, we all like to walk around as Christians and be like, God's got a good plan for me. Could you imagine, though, the son's plan? His entire plan, the purpose of the son, is to come and to live and to die for the forgiveness of many, right? That's, that's a wild thing. The, the entire purpose of God here is that his son would go to the cross to forgive us of our sins. So it's just this beautiful, beautiful sense of sacrifice here that he's getting ready to live his final moments for us, and he's getting ready to do the greatest action that the universe has ever seen all throughout history. And it's not an action of conquering. It's not an action of taking. It's not an action of power. It is an action of surrender and an action of great suffering and great sacrifice. And this is what Jesus is getting ready to do for us. So as we go through the next three chapters, there is weight to these chapters as we really explore what is Easter really about. Like, what, what is this about? This is the pinnacle of our faith. It is the foundation on which everything else rests, Christ crucified and him sacrificed for us. Nothing else hinges more than the person, the, the death, and the resurrection of Christ. Can I get an amen or a head nod? Or, this is it. This is what it's all, all hinged on. Now, before I jump into Luke chapter 22, I want to take us all the way back to seventh grade this morning. Do you remember your seventh grade experience? How many had crazy hair in the seventh grade? And you haven't quite figured out how to be an adult yet, right? Okay. By the seventh grade, most of us figured out body deodorant and things like that, that we needed it. You know, maybe we, we, we showered a little more regularly. You know, anybody had zits like me and pimples? And okay, like I, I for sure was in that camp. Um, I switched schools after the sixth grade going into the seventh grade. And so your boy was trying really hard to fit in, make new friends, you know, and if you've ever had to have that experience where you get your lunch in the lunchroom and then you go out in the cafeteria and you're like, okay, who do I sit with? You know, that is not a fun, that's not a fun feeling, right? And so I'm at a new school and I remember trying very hard to make new friends, trying very hard to fit in. And uh, I, I did play basketball. I was actually this height in the eighth grade. And so I have not grown since the ninth grade, which is kind of depressing. You know, I was like, yo, I'm going to make the NBA. And by my junior year, I'm like, I'm not, I'm not. This is as much as I get. And so, and so I remember feeling like, oh, man. And, but I did play basketball. And I, w- I was good at, in, at, at an early age. So my fourth, fifth grade, sixth, seventh, eighth grade, ninth grade, like I, was, I was really good at basketball. And I was obviously a little taller than, than the average, average guy in middle school. And so because of basketball, that was like my entrance in. And, and through basketball, I, I met a friend, and his, his name was Ricky. And, uh, and we just kind of became good friends and everything. And so, so after I got a few friends going, and I, I'm in the basketball team, I found my, my click a little bit. Uh, I was like, okay, now it's time to start dating. And so my first relationship lasted about three hours. 
We, we got together around lunchtime, and then we broke up uh, by the end of the day. And, and don't laugh at me. You did that too, okay? So, yeah, I, 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 so, so it's like about three hours. And my next relationship, I think, was about two weeks long, which was a lot of improvement from the last one, you know? Um, and then, and then there's, there's this young lady. Her name was Nikki. And, then, and we, started, we were together for six months, which is like incredible for the seventh grade, right? Like it's a very, very long five, six-month uh, relationship. Now, in the seventh grade, I had never kissed anybody. I never, I'd never kissed anybody. No one ever taught me how to kiss. And, and so I'm like, like, I know you're supposed to kiss, but I don't know how to kiss. I can't believe I'm telling you all this story. This is so embarrassing. But, but I remember the seventh grade. I was like, I don't know how to kiss anybody. What if I do something wrong? What if my breath smells? And I had like this incredible amount of anxiety over like, I mean, it was a big deal just to hold her hand, right? And this, is, this was me in the seventh grade. And like, I, I didn't even know. And so the whole time we were together, we never kissed. This is a true story. This is a true story. And she's like, why don't you kiss me? And I'm like, I don't know. I remember making up lame excuses. And I'm like, I can't tell her that I'm afraid to kiss. Like, what if I'm a bad kisser? You know? And on the last day of school, everybody said the last day of school, right? Like on the last day of the seventh grade, my friend Ricky kissed my girlfriend. So we're not friends anymore. You know? And obviously that relationship didn't work out, you know? And I remember... For the first time in my life, feeling the emotion of betrayal. Do you remember the first time in your life you felt betrayed? Right? And we probably all have some kind of memory somewhere where the first time I remember feeling betrayed. Right? Betrayed. Luke chapter 22, one of the main themes of this chapter is betrayal. And Jesus is getting ready to go into his final moments of ministry for us. And in Luke 22, he, he opens up and we, we have this, this portion of scripture where he's laid out. He's going to have communion, right? The Passover with his disciples. And it's very, very significant. It's the last meal they're going to eat together, right? So this, this is a bonding, emotional, tying moment for Jesus and his disciples. This is the last meal that he is going to eat on the earth. It's the last meal that he's going to eat with his friends, with his followers, right? And, and then those of you that know the story, one of them, Judas, is getting ready to betray him, you know? And I've had some people in life, you know, obviously betray me. I've had a few people in my life just kind of hate me. I was like, I'm pretty sure they hate me. I don't, you know, I don't know what I did. Uh, but man, but I don't think I've ever had anybody plan my death. Maybe in their mind they did, but I don't think I've actively ever had anyone plan you know, how they're going to take me out. And here you have Jesus getting ready to sacrifice for everybody, right? And here's Judas, and he's getting ready to betray him. He's getting ready to plan to, to make this scheme to, to take the life of Jesus. And so Jesus sets out communion. Next week, we're going to actually have the chance to celebrate communion together. And what's amazing about the Passover is that it's, it's celebrating. It was a meal that God instituted hundreds and hundreds of years before to celebrate how God delivered the children of Israel from the bondage of Egypt. They, they were in slavery for 400 years. God brings them out of Egypt into the promised land, and he has this meal to celebrate God's deliverance. 
And those of you that are Christ followers, you know the significance now of the Passover. Jesus is saying, hey, here's the Passover. And for all this time, we've celebrated God's deliverance from Egypt to the promised land. But now I'm here as the perfect lamb. And we are going to celebrate man's deliverance from sin into freedom and a door being made to the Father and to heaven. If that doesn't get you excited, I don't, I don't know what will. I mean, communion is so significant. He's saying, hey, this is, we celebrate what God did here, but now get, God's getting ready to deliver, you know, he's getting ready to deliver the world, right? Here comes the lamb that's slain for the world. And, and so it's this beautiful, beautiful moment. And yet in this moment of beauty, there's betrayal, right? And Judas is beginning to scheme. And so that's kind of what I, I want to set the tone of Luke 22 that we go into this chapter in this passage. So uh, if you have your Bibles, open up to Luke chapter 22. That was just the preliminary, okay? That was just the setup of Luke chapter 22. And let's, let's look into it. So Jesus institutes the Lord's Supper, and I, I kind of set the, the tone for that. And we're going to revisit that next week as we celebrate communion together as a church on Palm Sunday. Um, and, and so, and Jesus, at the end of this meal, right, he, he, he begins to say, like, hey, guys, like, you know, someone is going to betray me. Now, you could imagine the shock of that, right? I mean, imagine a church setting. If I said something like, hey, some of y'all are, you're, you're going to do something crazy this week. Everybody like, Who's, you know. I mean, imagine if I just dropped a bomb like, hey, somebody's getting ready to have an affair this week. Everybody, like, Ooh. everything would go crazy. And so here's Jesus. He's having this meal and he says, hey, somebody's going to betray me. And so you can imagine the emotional impact of this moment. The disciples are, are going crazy, right? And they begin to try to figure out who it is, right? Is it you? It's surely it's you. It's me. No, it's you. It's not me, you know? And, and it's what's wild is in their conversation. This is very human of us, right? They try to figure out who's the worst. And then they have a conversation of who's the greatest. And that's, that's where I want to pick up because this is so, so human of us, right? Well, who's the worst? Who's going to betray? Well, surely it's not me. I'm the greatest. You're not the greatest. It's, it's me. Let's look here. Verse 24. I set all that to say. Let's, let's jump in this text now. Verse 24, Luke 22, verse 24. Uh, now there was also a dispute among them as to which of them should be considered the greatest. Right? So we've gone from the worst to the greatest. Now, surely it can't be me. I'm, I'm the greatest. And now we're having this conversation. And he said to them, the kings of the Gentiles exercise lordship over them, and those who exercise authority over them are called benefactors, but not so among you. On the contrary, he who is the greatest among you, let him be as the younger, and he who governs as he who serves. For who is greater, he who sits at the table or he who serves? Is it not the person that's sitting at the table? Yet I am among you as the one who serves. This is a very powerful concept that I want to touch on in Luke 22 today. This is where you get the idea of servant leadership by Jesus. Jesus takes authority and he takes leadership and he turns it on his head. And he's like, guys, you live in a world where the powerful conquer the weak and they make them serve them and they subjugate them. And leadership is I'm going to push everybody else down and make people do what I want. And Jesus says, leadership in the kingdom of God, if you're great, you're going to put a towel on and you're going to begin to serve other people. And he takes leadership and he takes authority. He turns it upside down and he says, guys, this is what I want you to do. If you want to be great in my kingdom, start serving other people. He redefines greatness in just a few sentences of a chapter. And this is wild. You look at a lot of the problems in the world, people are still trying to push people under their feet instead of elevating them up. 
When God gives us a position in the body of Christ or he gives you a position in life, it is only to take people higher. I'm going to do a funny, goofy little illustration that I've done before. When God elevates you to a status, I'm going to get on this chair and not fall down and die. If God gives you something that's a little bit higher, if God gives you a position, it's not so that the people around you go lower. I'm not up here, nor is any believer that's following Christ that's trying to embrace godly leadership. I'm not up here trying to push people down, right? Leadership is not a burden to those that are underneath us. Ooh, it should be an elevation. So if you're a leader and God gives you a position in life or gives you a position in the church, wouldn't it not be to lift them higher and to say, hey, taste the air up here so together we can all rise to new heights in God and life. So if God gives you something, it's not to push people lower. Rather, it's to bring them up to your level. One of the reasons we called ourselves Lift Church, we want our back muscles to be stronger than our chest muscles. We want to pull people up and pick them up and lift them up instead of pushing them down. Amen? Now i got to get off this thing before I fall. I'm going to embarrass myself. So here in Jesus, Luke 22, the, the moment is tense. The setting is real. Betrayal is on the horizon. And Jesus redefines leadership for us in these final moments. And he's saying, guys, this is what my kingdom's about. This is what I want you to be about. This is how we make the world a better place, by lifting people and bringing them higher. Uh, let, let me go on. Um, he says, uh, verse 28, But are those who continue with me in my trials, and I bestow upon you a kingdom, just as my Father bestowed one upon me, that you may eat and drink at my table in my kingdom and sit on the thrones judging the twelve tribes of Israel. In verse 31, the Lord says, Simon, Simon, indeed Satan has asked for you that he may sift you as wheat. In other words, Satan's asked to, to wreck Peter's faith, right? And, and of course, in the conversation, Simon Peter being one of the greatest had to be right up there. Right? He's consistently taking Peter, James, and John to places that, that nobody else is at. And, and it's funny, as you read the Bible, there's always seeming to be this rift between Peter and John a little bit. Right? So, so who's the worst? Who's the betrayer? Well, who's the greatest now? This conversation. And surely Peter's name came up. Maybe Peter even thought in his own mind, I'm the greatest. I mean, Jesus did look at me and said, upon this rock, I'm going to build my church. Like, Peter's usually the first one to act. He's the first one to talk, right? I mean, he's the one that got to walk on water, which is amazing. He sunk a little bit, but to my knowledge, he's the only one that got to experience that in human history. So, I mean, there's definitely an argument could be made, right? And surely in his own mind, dude, I might be it. It's not me. I'm not going to betray him at all. I'm, I'm going to ride or die, Jesus. I'm with you all the way. Like, it, it can't be me. So at least in his own mind, he's probably like, yo, I got this. Like, I'm, I'm, I'm the right-hand guy, right? And, and so it, it, it's funny. You know, you know that Bible verse in the Bible where it says pride comes before a fall? I think sometimes in, in the Christian life, one of the most dangerous things for all of us is pride. Thinking we've arrived. Thinking we're untouchable. Thinking we're good to go. Thinking we've got God figured out and those poor, dumb people over there that don't know God. But I'm good. I'm righteous. And it's a dangerous spot, is it not? And I'm not saying we don't believe in truth, and I'm not saying we don't listen to Jesus, but, but I, I think humility is so important. You, you, talk, you talk a very another powerful concept in the church and in the world right now. Man, humility matters. You know, I like, I like what C.S. Lewis said. Humility isn't thinking less of yourself. It's just thinking about yourself less. 
I'm just thinking about others more. I don't have to always be the center of everything. And so here's Peter. Peter's like, yo, I'm probably the greatest. I'm probably the best. I, I could imagine that crossed his mind. And here's Jesus in verse 31 saying, Simon, Satan's asked to wreck your faith. Man, he's asked to sift you like wheat, tear you apart, you know, break you up. Uh, he said, but I prayed for you that your faith would not fail. What a powerful prayer. Guys, I just wonder, the Bible says that Jesus is making intercession for you and me. Sometimes have we stopped to consider the prayers that Jesus is praying for you. You're praying for yourself, but maybe have you remembered Jesus is praying for you. When you go through the painful thing, when you go through the challenge, when you're hurting, Jesus is praying for you. And Jesus is like, I prayed for you, Peter, and it's not going to happen. Satan asked to wreck your life and wreck your faith, but I prayed for you. I wonder how many things God does in my life, not because I prayed, but because Jesus prayed for me. Wow. What a beautiful thought. God's like, you were stupid, but Jesus prayed for you. So I saved you anyway. Okay, wow. Thank you, God. I'm going to get to heaven. You know how many times I'm going to get to heaven and angels be like, I saved your butt back there in 2008, you know? Come on, guys. You know what's going to happen. You were at the club. You had too much. You were going to walk in the ocean. But I just sent an angel to save you and turn you around. And You got pulled over that night, but, you know, whatever. God saved your butt. You just, we don't even know. Come on. I'm preaching now. I know you're all like, Pastor, don't mess with my life. But come on. God is good, man. He goes, I prayed for you that your faith would not fail. And when you've returned to me, strengthen your brothers. Isn't that a powerful? He said, when you've returned to me, strengthen your brothers. In other words, Peter, when I restore you, go help other people. Don't worry about being the best no more. Go help your brothers who you're competing with right now. You know, the body of Christ, we're not designed to compete against our brothers and sisters. We're designed to complete our brothers and sisters. Verse 23, but he said to him, Lord, I'm ready to go with you. Come on, I'm the number two, God, I'm the right hand, both to prison and to death. That's a bold statement, right? And I'm sure he meant it, right? I mean, Peter's kind of an action guy. Jesus says, I tell you, Peter, the rooster will not crow this day before you will deny me three times that you know me. Wow. You know, wow. God, I'm with you all the way. How many times in our Christian life have we said, I will never do that again, God? I promise never to sin. I promise never to be stupid. I promise to get my life right. This time, Jesus, I'm going to be faithful. You can count on me. I know I'm meddling all of our lives. Let me go on. Then there's this portion, verse 35 to 38. There's supplies for the road. And then there's verse 39, the prayer in the garden. Let's look at this now together. Coming out, he went to the Mount of Olives as he was accustomed and his disciples followed him. When he came to the place, he said to them, pray that you may not enter into temptation. Let me, let me just pause right here for a second. Now, the Garden of Gethsemane is real close to just being outside of Jerusalem. I had a chance several years ago to go to, go to Jerusalem, go to Israel. And, and there's still, it's really kind of a neat thing. There's still trees in, in the, the Olive Garden area. There's still olive trees there. They're not from the times of Christ, but they're several hundred years old. And, and it's, it's kind of beautiful. People pray and they write down their prayers and they fold them up and they put them in the uh, olive trees. Even now, it's just, it's just like a beautiful thing. And it's very, very peaceful to walk around and just kind of pray in the same area that, that Jesus prayed in 2,000 years ago. And, and uh, it was a very moving experience for me. Um, and so it's close. So they, they eat, they walk. And now he knows his, his moment uh, to die and to be tortured and to be beaten is, is, is soon, right? Now we're just talking hours, minutes away, and, and he's entering a time of prayer. Now you can imagine the strain and the stress 
that, that he would be under at, at this point. And, and in verse 40, he's leaning on his friends. He's leaning on his closest companions, his friends, and he's like, pray with me. Pray that you don't enter into temptation. Pray with me. Be with me. Okay, so this is the setting. This is the context uh, now of this. And, uh, and it's verse, verse 41. And he was withdrawn from them about a stone's throw away, so he went by himself, and he knelt down and prayed. And I want you to see this. The humanity of Jesus, I don't think, comes through more clearly any other time in Scripture than right here. He says, Father, if it's your will, take this cup away from me. Nevertheless, not my will, but yours be done. God, if there is another way, take this thing from me. I don't want to be tortured. I don't want to die. Who does? You know, Jesus is 100% God. He's 100% man. And you could imagine the man side, the human side of Jesus does not want to be murdered. Who wants to be tortured? Nobody. Who would want to die a death on a cross? Nobody. Right? Nobody. And here the, the man side is like, God, if there is any other way, can we take that option right now? But, but if not, not my will, but yours be done. You know, the Bible says that, that Jesus obeyed God faithfully in every way. This is actually we, this is a doctrine in the church. We, we believe this, that Jesus never sinned, that he was tempted just like you and I. All the temptations that you and I face on any given month, Jesus was faced with, right? And that might be a little different for us in the modern world, but the basic concept would, would be there. So Jesus is tempted just like you and I, but he never failed. He never sinned. He never failed to say, God, not my will, but your will be done. And I think the humanity of Jesus really comes through here. Verse 43 says, an angel appeared to him from heaven, strengthened him. And then being in agony, he prayed more earnestly. Then his sweat became like great drops of blood falling down from the ground. This is actually a condition. This can happen when someone is under extreme stress. You can actually sweat blood. You're under so much stress, your, your vessels are breaking, and you can literally sweat blood. Um, and they're falling down to the ground. And he rose up from prayer, and he came to his disciples, and he found them sleeping um, from sorrow. And he said to them, why do you sleep? Rise and pray, lest you enter temptation. Man, have you ever had to lean on some friends that just weren't there for you? Have you ever felt alone? Have you ever felt under stress? Jesus understands how you feel. Again, if we're looking at the human side of Jesus, God, I'm alone, I'm scared, I'm under stress. My friends were supposed to be hanging with me, and they're not, and they've kind of abandoned me. You know, I think we all can relate to that at some, at some level. The Bible says in Hebrews that God didn't give us a high priest that's lofty and distant and doesn't understand us. No, he gave us a high priest that understands what it's like to be human. You know, one of the reasons I think God has so much grace for us, he understands what it's like to be human. He understands what it's like to feel depressed, anxious, you know, to quote the trolls from Frozen, people make bad choices when they're mad or scared or stressed. <laughs> Come on, I'm not my finest self when I'm mad or scared or stressed. I got some weeks where I'm very godly and I look very much like Jesus and I've got other weeks where I'm not the best representation of Jesus, right? Right? So, and like all of us, right? There's amazing, godly, beautiful parts of you and there's parts of you left unchecked. You're crazy, Right? You just ruin your whole life. So I think that's kind of a beautiful and a powerful thing that God understands what it's like to fill the human pool on all of us. Verse 47, while he was still speaking, behold, a multitude 
And he who was called Judas, one of the twelve, went before him and drew near to Jesus to kiss him. And Jesus is saying, Judas, you betray the Son of Man with a kiss. I mean, the irony, the slap in the face, the just the, that's a brutal way to be betrayed. You know, a sign of friendship. You know, and then his, in his culture, if I went up and I kissed you on the cheek, then it was a sign of intimacy, a sign of friendship, a sign of care. And obviously that was how he chose to betray him. So after that moment, right, let me, let me pick up in verse 49. When those around him saw what was going to happen, they said to him, Lord, shall we strike with the sword? And one of them struck the servant of the high priest and cut off his right ear, which, which was Peter, right? Jesus answered and said, permit even this. He touched his ear and healed him. Jesus said to the chief priests, captains of the temples and the elders, have you come out as against a robber with swords and clubs? When I was with you daily in the temple, you did not try to seize me, but this is your hour in the power of darkness. In other words, hey, guys, you could have done this at any time. You know, and they chose not to do it in the day because had they taken Jesus in the day, they knew they would have created a riot with the crowd because Jesus was so popular at this point. And so they had to take him at night. Judas was their way in. They had to know where he was at, where he was going. They had to take him at night to avoid all of that. And so, but here Jesus resonates. Guys, if God didn't want this to happen, you would have no power over me at all. You'd never be able to take me with a million swords, let alone ten but this is the very reason I came, right? This is the very thing that God willed from the beginning, that I should go, that I should be beaten, I should be mocked, I should be tortured, and I should die for humanity. You know, guys, I don't know about you, but every Easter that rolls around and I relook at this story, I become more and more grateful for what Jesus went through for us, right? I mean, he went through something for me that really the world wouldn't do for me, and the same for you. He did something for you and I that, that we would never do, right? Um, and I, I've said this before too, but I might just mention it briefly right now. I have four kids. I'm not going to give any one of them to you. Uh, you know, I love you. You're cute, but I, I ain't giving my kids up for you. You could give me a million dollars. I'd say no. You could give me a billion dollars. I'd say, well, I'll think about it. No, okay. I'm like, no, no. I still say no. Why? Because, because my children are priceless. Priceless. Okay. The father, and I'm an earthly dad. The father loves Jesus more than I love my kids because he's a more perfect form of love. Jesus is priceless to the Father. He gave Jesus for the opportunity to get to your heart. See, if Jesus doesn't change your heart, no amount of money ever will. Because Jesus is priceless. Heaven only has one son. You know? I mean, we might walk on streets of gold, but heaven's only got one son. The Father only has one son. And he did for you what you would never do for anybody else. It's a beautiful thought. He came to live and to die for you. And Jesus is saying, hey... I'm here to die. This is my purpose. Um, verse 54 uh, through, we, we have this moment now where Peter denies Jesus three different times. He's afraid. He's in his emotions. He's scared. Three different people ask him, and he denies Jesus three different times. Um, and then in verse 61, I, I want us to see this real quick. So that's what's happening for the next few verses. He's denying Jesus. Verse 61, the Lord turns to him and looks at Peter And Peter remembered the word of the Lord that he said to him, before the rooster crows, you will deny me three times. And Peter went out and wept bitterly. You know, and I I don't say this to make fun of Peter. I think sometimes Peter gets a bad rap. But, I mean, if we're all honest, I mean, could you imagine following Jesus too? It would have been so hard. 
Why couldn't you cast that demon out? It's your lack of faith. Really? I've never seen anything like this in my whole life. You know, I mean, like, I mean, it would have been, Jesus, you're walking to me out of water and you're asking me why I'm scared. That's freaking terrifying. You know, like, I mean, there would have been so many moments that would have blown our minds being with Jesus. And he's like, hey, you guys should have this figured out by now. <laughs> okay. You know, I mean, it would have been a bit of a wild road. But when I read Peter, and Peter goes on to have an incredible ministry. I mean, he goes on to just change the ancient world. I mean, within a few hundred years, Christianity goes from a few dozen people to conquering the whole Roman Empire, right? Through, through love and service, right? It's just this wild story. And, and Peter becomes, he becomes that rock, right? He becomes a great leader in the, in the church. Um, he, he goes on. Historians uh, place, place the death of Peter. He was crucified upside down at his request because he didn't feel like he was worthy to die like his master. He said, don't crucify me like him. Crucify me upside down. And so he goes on to have incredible boldness, braveness, power, strength. But in this moment, he denies Jesus. And for me, as a believer and a follower of Christ, I, it's, I don't want to say it's comforting, but it's nice to know that I'm not the only one that makes mistakes. And if I could say anything to you today, you know, you're not the only one that's denied Jesus in your head, your mouth, and your life. I think sometimes when it comes to temptation and sin, the devil's the first one to tempt us to sin. And when we commit that sin, he's the first one to point out that we have sinned. Temptation and condemnation are both not from Jesus. Rather, an invitation into freedom is. Right? There's grace, there's mercy, there's freedom, and there's power to break free from the cycle of sin. Y'all tracking with me so far? And so when I look at Peter and I see his, his struggle and, and it hurts him. He knew he just failed epically. But there's this beautiful thing that Christ restores him and he goes on to have this wild, wild ministry. And so I say all that to say, I hope you find a great deal of hope in that. That, man, even if you do struggle, even if you do fail, even if you mess up some area, there is no mistake that is greater than God's grace. That's a powerful thought. And so if God could do this for the, the rock and one of the foundational apostles of our faith, God can do this for you and I as well. Right? There is no mistake right, that his grace can't cover. There's, there's no failure that God can't restore and make new. Amen. Verse 63. Now the men who held Jesus mocked him and beat him. Having blindfolded him, they struck him on his face and asked him, saying, Prophesy, who is the one who struck you? And many other things they blasphemously spoke against him. Man, I don't know if you've ever been made fun of, but isn't it one of the hardest things in the world not to do is not to hate your bully? If everybody's ever said, you know, terrible things to you on Twitter or made fun of you in school or at the workplace or whatever, I mean, isn't it the hardest thing in the world to do not to hate your enemy? And here is Jesus getting ready to sacrifice four of these guys, and they're making fun of him. I don't know about you, but, you know, that's probably where I would have lost it. I'm like, okay, I hate you guys. God, burn them all up. It's, it's just forget it, forget it. Jesus stays steady. He forgives them. He loves them. It just is mind-blowing to me. It really is. The Easter story is honestly mind-blowing. It's mind-blowing. Pastor Matt, how do you know the Bible is actually God's word and, and man didn't create it? Man wouldn't write this kind of junk. Man wouldn't write this. Man would be way more vindictive. Man would be like, they struck me and I lightning blasted him. That's a good Marvel movie. But it's not the gospel. Here's Jesus and he forgives 
and he loves, and he doesn't blast them with lightning, even though they're making fun of him, and he's doing it for them. Wow. Verse 66, just a few more verses, and we're done. As soon as it was day, the elders of the people, both chief priests and scribes, came together and led him into their council, saying, If you're the Christ, tell us. But he said to them, If I tell you, you'll by no means believe it. And if I also ask you, you will by no means answer me or, or let me go. Hereafter, the Son of Man will sit on the right hand of the power of God. And they all said, You are then the Son of God? And he said to them, You are rightly saying that I am. And they said, What further testimony do we need? For we have heard it ourselves from his own mouth. This is where Jesus really emphatically claims to be the Son of God. And he's like, Oh, you're saying you're God's Son? He's like, I am. I am. And I'm going to close with this. One of the foundational things for all of us at Easter is Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life. He's God's son. He came to live for you, to sacrifice for you, and he came back from the dead for you so you and I can live a new life. Let's all pray. Can you close your eyes for a moment? This is what I just feel in my heart to do this morning. If you've been away from God, maybe you're back at church and you're like, hey, I, this is my first time in church in a while, or, you know, I don't know, but you're like, yo, today just kind of hit me again what Jesus did for me. And you want to give your life back to God. Or maybe you're in here today and this is kind of pretty new to you, but you're like, whoa, I, I didn't realize how heavy this thing was and what Jesus has gone through for me. And you want to begin to follow Jesus with all eyes closed. Would you just lift up your hand this morning if you feel like you want to come back and make some steps back? Thank you. Or you want to just begin something right now? Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. This is great. Thank you. Let's all pray this together so those five people don't feel alone. Say, Heavenly Father, forgive me of my sins. Cleanse me today. Father, give me your spirit. Help me to follow you and to love you. In Jesus' name, amen. Thanks again for checking out our podcast. If you enjoyed it, please subscribe. Share with a few friends. Thanks for helping us make Jesus famous right here in South Florida. Again, if you're in the Fort Lauderdale area, we'd love to see you sometime. Or as always, visit us online, citylift.com. Dot church. Have an amazing day.